everyone. Welcome to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and on today's inaugural episode, we're going to talk about the top five comics that you should be reading. So here's the format. I'm going to give you the official synopsis, the creative team behind each comic, and the reasons why you should read them. And joining me on this first episode is my good friend Chris Carter. Now we've worked with each other on a bunch of different projects, both back in Arizona and also out here in LA. And what we wanted to do for this list is put something together that's not just for hardcore comic book fans like myself, but also for people who are just starting out, like Chris. And before we get into it, I just want to put up a quick disclaimer. You might notice a little difference between the quality of this intro versus the quality of the rest of the episode, and that's due to the fact that I am currently recording this intro at my apartment, and we recorded the majority of the episode over at Chris's house, where we set up an entire room to ourselves so that we could get the important stuff sounding really crystal clear to you guys. So yeah, you might notice a little bit of a difference in sound quality, which we will hopefully have fixed in the episodes going forward. But for now, sit back, relax, and... Oh. I don't know if you can hear that, that's our neighbor's dog, who is very excited about the comics we're going to talk about. So yeah, that's the intro. Uh, enjoy the list, and I will see you guys at the end of the episode. Now here are the top five comics that you should be reading. The first comic that I have is Batman White Knight. So I brought a ridiculous stack of comics with me just to give visual cues because I believe in visual cues. Of course, for podcast listeners, um, you're not going to be seeing any of this. <laughs> but I, uh, I grabbed all of the comics for each one that are currently out right now. So... I'm going to start off with Batman White Knight, and immediately what you get off of it is this is not the Batman that most people are used to. Uh, I'll jump into the synopsis right here. So, uh, in a world where Batman has gone too far, the Joker must save Gotham City. It's the tragic story of Batman and the Joker, but which is the hero and which is the villain? So, right away... What strikes me about these books is how they kind of take real world, uh, real world uh, topics, real world influences, and kind of apply them to the superheroes that we grew up with. So. Feel free to sure. Is check this kind of like too. Nolan's story? Kind of like, and and you can see it from like the uh, just the artwork is very kind of gritty, very right. not as you know Saturday morning cartoon sure. as you would normally see. Um, what this book deals with a lot is uh, topics that are kind of um, weaving their way through our current political climate. I see. Um, this book deals with a lot of uh, class warfare. You know, the 2% against the 98 right. or the 99 or whatever. Right. And uh, it also deals a lot with police brutality, which is like a huge topic right now. It has been for the last year or two. Right. Um, and it shows you where that goes when it comes to Gotham. And what I really like about this book is that it 
makes Gotham exactly what it should be, which is the city in itself is a character. And that's something that I myself, and I know a lot of people who are fans of Batman are keyed into right. is that the city is a character in itself. Like every corner, you know, you, you play any of the Batman Arkham video games, right. you play any of, you know, you watch any of the movies and the, city always has a flavor the city always has a feeling yeah whenever you hear the words gotham city an image immediately comes to your mind and you know that's true in, in even the film adaptations even in, in, in burdens and then in schulmacher's and then nolan's i mean the city itself it, 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 you said it right it's a character i mean hell everybody knows that arkham asylum is and you know it's a fictitious place but right. yet you kind of know exactly what it looks like because of all the iterations throughout film and the books have kind of gone through so i be, i i totally get what you're saying about the texture of the city playing itself a character in the in these uh in the story arc right right and it's and what i like is that it takes that familiarity that you're talking about that we've had because we've had so many iterations of batman we can look at adam west we can look at tim burton we can look at uh nolan and we can see Gotham City grow and evolve with the times. Right. Mm-hmm. And this the Gotham that's in this book is very of the times. You get to see how much Batman's war on crime affects low-income housing. You know, there's a whole plot oh, point. Right, there's a whole plot point on, you know, Batman's crimes and the uh the crimes that he fight rather. And the um, villains that he fights, all those end up, you know, those climactic battles that you'll see at the end of every movie mm-hmm. end up being in poor neighborhoods. You know, in uh, the Nolan movies, in Batman Begins, the big plan by Scarecrow and uh, Ra's al Ghul was to use their fear gas on the Narrows, yeah. which yeah. was, you know, the kind of the slums, right. the, the poor part, the, of, the the poor part yeah. of the city. And so this kind of, this book kind of turns it up to 11. So you get to see what it's like on the ground level. And you also get to see characters in a different way that you would normally see them. You get to see different viewpoints. Like one thing that I, one thing that I really enjoy is that this book tackles the idea of does the media equal the truth? Mm-hmm. And again, that's something that's really going on with you know right. Trump and all the you know political back and forth when it comes to that. Right. And you'll get different uh, newscasts in the middle of different pages with one perspective being like you know Batman's a vigilante. He's only you know participating in crimes that affect you know poor neighborhoods and you'll get another perspective where it's like well you know he's doing the work that the police can't and you get to see not just how much batman affects crime as a whole but culture in the city and um so one of the one of the things that I really like is that this book also is kind of a culmination of a lot of different comic influences so if you like something from a piece of Batman's history, whether it be in comics, whether it be in movies, whether it be on TV shows, it's probably in this book. Mm-hmm. The Gotham as a um, as a backdrop is very similar to the animated series, voiced by Kevin Conroy it's back in the nineties. Right, it's got a lot, a lot of Art Deco, yeah. a lot of like noir elements, and noir is so heavy in this book 
that it really plays on these different perspectives for everyone. What do you think they were saying when they named it White Knight? Everybody knows him as a Dark Knight. Why is it called the White Knight? Or why do you think? Well, I think honestly, because it it does touch on it a little bit in in the book, is that the Joker, like the, uh, the synopsis says, is cured over the course of the first issue. And I, I know I'll I'll put this in right away. Um, I'm going to try to stay as spoiler-free as possible <laughs> yeah. for all these books because I, I want you to go and check those out. I want you to, um, if you listen and you hear a book that you like, I want you to go out and read it. And I want you to let me know, hey, I dug this book. Hey, I didn't dig this book. And I really want to, like, garner conversations. But um, so as non-spoilery as I can be, uh, Joker does get cured, quote-unquote, and he decides that the only way that he is ever going to win against Batman is to turn the city against him. And by doing so, he decides that he is going to become this white knight to oppose Batman's Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. He's going to go through all legal channels. He decides that he's going to run for a city government yeah, office. Do everything right. Right. I and see. he and what I love, what I love is that he he's his character is so um on a surface level is so noble that he cuz everyone immediately is like, you know, this is the Joker. I don't right. care if you, you know, c- color his hair, take the face paint off of him he's still the joker on the inside and through the issues of this book that we've had so far he has been able to slowly turn people's opinion on him or at least get them to doubt and in a way that makes him look like a respectable businessman and one of the things that um i really enjoy as a uh, as a tv fan is that sean gordon murphy who writes and does the illustrations for this book um said, I want to say back last year, that his inspiration for this version of the Joker is Don Draper from Mad Men. And you, if you're familiar with Mad Men, um, basically it's a show about uh, advertising. And Don Draper is played by John Hamm, who is one of the it's most charis- yeah. charismatic guys I've ever seen Great in my entire person. life. Incredibly good looking for us. Absolutely, yeah. like ridiculously. Yeah. And uh, for him to say, this is my Joker... I think was incredible at the time with us not have with us like as comic book fans not having any basis for what he was talking about but now looking at it and watching it go through you get to see that it's not just on a face value Don Draper you can see elements of him in the way that he handles situations in his um, vernacular in the way that he deals with setbacks because there's going to be a lot of setbacks. There's going to be a lot of, you know, he's basically building himself back from the ground up. He has to, right? To, right. to regain the trust, to, to, to flip people, basically. Right. And you start to, because you get in the first issue this sense of like, oh, he's playing everybody. He's playing everybody. This is his goal is to, you know, turn the entire city on him and then, you know, whatever the Joker always wants to do with the city. Mm-hmm. But throughout the issues, you start to doubt. You start to wonder if, like, this is really who he is now or this is really who he always was and he always wanted to be. And so you get these two different perspectives because, of course, Batman is like, there's no way. He's got a plot. He's got a <laughs> right, plan. Right, right. But he's starting to, throughout the story, 
have people who he trusts, people who are on his team say, well, I don't know. And so you get this amazing chess match between the two of them trying to find out who is going to win. And you get possibly the Joker being the best version of himself with Batman, who in many moments in this book is the worst of himself. You see him completely disregard innocent life. You see him go through property damage like he's, you know, at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like, <laughs> you you get to see all this stuff and how they contrast and how they're similar. So, yeah, that's that's Batman White Knight in a nutshell. Mm. Um, for those who are interested, the next issue is going to be number six. You can pick up issues one through five at any comic book shop. Uh, next issue is issue number six, and that's going to be out on March 7th, uh, 2018, so next month. It is a monthly book, so you are going to have to wait each month, but it is absolutely worth the wait. Any? you have any questions? No, anything I, that's I, interesting? I, you know, it's, I, I'm just... I have wondered about Batman and the Joker. I would be interested to see if the character could convince me, the Joker character. Right. And I think that's what the writers probably sat down and they thought about. Like, how do we make people who would traditionally have always seen the Joker as this kind of horrible villain in mm-hmm. so many different ways, so many shades of terrible, right? Whether right. it's the Nolan version, whether it's the Adam West version, whether it's, you know, the version that, that Nicholson played so brilliantly. There's oh, different absolutely. flavors of this Joker. And so... Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. It's not like a secret. So I would imagine the writers say the thing about it's like, how do we make people believe mm-hmm. that this Joker is cured? He's better. Yeah. And, and, and if they can convince the readers, even if in the back of your head you know, but, do you, but you know, it's like, you know, let's go for the ride. Let, let's, well, let's see where this goes. And, and, you know, I think that's a tribute to good writing and, and an amazing illustrations. Right. And, and what I like is that, um, to the point that I was saying earlier, is that they tra- – they, kind of uh, trapes up all of the story beats with familiarity with the character. If you, you know, if this is your first Batman book, there's still plenty of stuff to admire. The art is beautiful. The writing is great. But if you have any kind of cursory knowledge, like the Batmobile that he uses is the exact same Batmobile that Ben Affleck's Batman is riding around in right now. You know, you look at uh, Harley Quinn. She's sporting the original cartoon cartoon costume. She's that she in had. this too. She is. Well, she that, is. And you get yeah. to see her dealing with Batman as you know this kind of criminal element and how it's affecting her Joker. And there's a there's an amazing amazing twist with Harley halfway through the series so far. Yeah. And I'm not going to spoil it because it's for me as a longtime comic book fan. It was so. Um, it was kind of fulfilling when you get to see just kind of the progression she's had yeah. since she was created up until now where she was originally this very cartoonish, very like, oh, shucks, Mr. J. Like, right. With and now, jester hat. And right. Yeah. And now she's, you know, kind of this sex symbol, mm. you know, with Margot Robbie, Robbie, Robbie playing her so like devilishly in Suicide Squad right. and that's and the Arkham games, you know, playing her as this kind of um, 
I don't want to I don't want to say harlot because that's like a, right. that's like a, a such an old timey word but like <laughs> but yeah like she uh, she's very different and you get this and you kind of get hints of why that is in this book which yeah. is nice and I mean when he becomes cured the Joker goes by the name Jack Napier which was the name Jack, that Jack Nicholson's, Jack Nicholson's character has. Yeah. So there are all kinds of different easter eggs throughout the entire book that if you have ever been a fan of Batman you will immediately see and you'll like the book all the more Interesting. for it. Yeah, that in itself intrigued because I always think on face value well it's Batman Joker which is you know you buy a ticket for to watch the fight. Exactly. When you have the undercard being the Joker and Harley and just kind of how, and everybody knows her now. Like ever since Suicide right. Squad, she was popular in, in in comic ranks. Yeah, I didn't necessarily know, but since Suicide Squad, everybody knows who <laughs> she is now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. to see that part of it, to see those two characters kind of warring, if nothing else, not with each other, but maybe just so the mentality change of what they have to deal with now. I mean, you can write a novel about it. Hell, you right. can make a movie about it. So, and I'm sure they will. I'm well, sure they, they will. <laughs> Anyway, I love the recommendation. That, that, that's cool. incredible. So, uh, number two, and I want to make this clear. This is in no like particular order. These are just how I listed them. They're all amazing. They're all equally wonderful. Um, number two is, if you know anything about me, not a surprise whatsoever. Uh, number two is Captain America. Currently, uh, Captain America is just this knockout book right now. And um, I'll get into a little bit of why he's been kind of a controversial character in, you know, the last year or so. Um, But here's the synopsis. So following Secret Empire, Steve Rogers is back in action in the red, white, and blue. Steve begins a journey across America to restore his tarnished reputation, and the dangers he encounters along the way are unlike any he's faced before. So... Immediately, what I think we should do is a quick recap on everything that's been going on with him. So the big deal in comics, and this actually got a lot of mainstream attention as well, was this story, Secret Empire. It was this big crossover story uh, that kind of started with uh, the most recent Captain America book, Steve Rogers' Captain America. Um, The end of that first issue, you know, it's... Your normal fanfare, if you've watched any of the Chris Evans movies or any of the, any of the Avengers movies that feature him, you know he's fighting Hydra, he's uh, kicking ass, taking names, and at the end of the book, spoiler for a book that's been out for like a year and a half, um, <laughs> the very last page shows Steve saying "Hail Hydra," which was this ridiculous like comment. Like I've seen like memes and other stuff of like this is this is like akin to Batman saying I shot my parents or like <laughs> Spider-Man being like there is no responsibility or like you know st- th- this was like a huge deal where you know cuz Cap has been fighting Hydra literally since World War 2 since the 1940s he has been this symbol of American, you know, ideals and however you view them. He has been there and he, he's gone through every decade of, you know, the Cold War and dealing with America not being what he thought it was or what it used to be to him dealing with the modern day and all the political climate of that. 
But um, so Secret Empire was this big book where he basically took control of Hydra and they ran roughshod over the U.S. They did what Hydra had always been saying that they were going to do, and they took over the government. They usurped all the superheroes. They usurped the American government. They took down S.H.I.E.L.D., and they installed themselves as essentially a dictatorship. Um, and what this came down to was this character called Kobik. Now, Kobik is a really deep cut, and I can see Chris's eyes starting to gloss over, but... <laughs> Basically, Kobik is the manifestation of the Cosmic Cube. And the Cosmic Cube, for people who don't know, is this cube who that is a, basically able to warp reality. It's this object that was crafted by the Celestials back at the dawn of time. And anyone who wields this Cosmic Cube has the ability to change reality itself. Um, people who watched the first Captain America movie might be familiar. Um, originally a lot of comic book fans thought that the Tesseract was going to be the cosmic cube, considering it was this glowy object, it was a short shape of a cube, Hydra was all about it, like, that was the deal, and that was before, you know, it was revealed that it was the Space Stone. But the cosmic cube is essentially a deus ex machina where you can just say oh the cosmic cube fixed it oh we use this to fix everything well in this um in this story kobik or the the cosmic cube gained sentience and became essentially this little girl named kobik and she was found by who else red skull who taught her about Hydra and how good it was for humanity and how from a child storybook perspective like there's an amazing little panel where you know Red Skull is reading this oversized um, children's book to her like a bedtime story telling her about oh Hydra's amazing Hydra won the war and all this stuff and he knows what she can do he knows that she's a little girl, she's impressionable, he's going to be able to use her in some way. And he does. He basically wipes, using her, wipes Steve's original history clean and makes him believe that he was raised under Hydra and that he had been a sleeper agent this entire time. It's an amazing book. It got it got a lot of criticism, especially for uh, the writer Nick Spencer, who, believe it or not, as like a comic book writer, who before this book, you know, not a whole lot of people mainstream knew, were sending death threats to him, mm. telling him, you know, you ruined my childhood, oh, wow. you've destroyed, you know, America. Like he was getting death threats on the regular while he's just trying to finish out the story, basically telling people like, there's a plan. We have like this is issue one. Right, just hold on. This is guys. the beginning of the story. Right, but, the movie um, just started. So anyway, the uh, the big climax of the Secret Empire book was Kobik basically warping reality again and bringing the Captain America that we all know and love back into reality. But what this did was it placed two Steve Rogers in our continuity. So there's one that's essentially Hydra Cap, and there's one that is our normal Cap. And they duke it out. Of course, the uh, red, white, and blue Captain America wins, and he 
is able to help imprison the Hydra Steve. And now he is basically locked under this um, shield bunker until, you know, the writers decide to use him again. Mm. So this book is kind of spinning out of that where Steve is back as Captain America and he's got the shield back. He's in the red, white, and blue. And he this is supposed to be kind of a back-to-basics idea. And what a lot of people were a little nervous about, me included, was that up till this point, Captain America had been kind of a legacy character. In the past, it's been Bucky who's picked it up. Other people have picked up the mantle. Mm-hmm. But for the last few years, Captain America has been Sam Wilson, who most people will know as the Falcon. Yeah. And uh, Sam Wilson was kind of... What I really enjoyed was Sam was kind of a Captain America for today. Him being a man of color, him right. being raised in not-so-great neighborhoods and kind of having a better finger on the pulse than Steve did. He got to come at the Captain America role from a streetwise perspective. And you got to see him deal with a lot of social issues. You got to see him dealing with... Um, corrupt border patrol you got to see him try and defuse rioting in new york like you got to see these people also look at him and say hashtag not my cap right like people were of course up in arms and there are a lot of traditionalists who i'm sure of course love steve and i love steve too but i'm also a huge fan of good stories right and sam wilson finally being able to step into his own as captain america was a great story um, and one of, I think, kind of the casualties of the Secret Empire story was, at the end, Sam basically giving the shield back to Good Steve and going back to being Falcon. Now, that's a totally other conversation for another day. Yeah, but, I, can, I can imagine the social uh, injustice. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I see where this Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, but for this book in itself, what I really like is that it's... Uh, it's a bare bones, back to basics, straight up Captain America story. Um, he is basically on a road trip across America, basically trying to regain the faith that people had in him. Because what sucks about Secret Empire is, even though us as the readers know, oh, that was you know that was Hydra Steve. This is the red, white, and blue. This is the one we know. People, you know, in the world can't distinguish the two in their minds cap did all this horrible stuff and now is just asking for us to forgive him so you get to see him hop back on his motorcycle like the like one of the final scenes in avengers the original avengers back in 2012 you know steve is on the motorcycle you don't know where he's off to and this is kind of what this book is and he's going you know first couple issues are him just going from small town to small town and finding you know that things aren't what they used to be things aren't what they were even you know two three years ago both the political climate both how people look at him how people you know look at america as a whole and that what i think is what this book is really about is about captain america finding america again and finding his place in this new world mm-hmm. now that the Avengers are this huge organization, now that people don't look at him the same way that they used to. Because the one constant in the Marvel Universe was everything everything can fall apart, but you can always trust Steve Rogers. 
And this book is kind of him trying to figure out if that's still the case and if that he's able to find that not just in other people but in himself again. Right. Okay. So um, one of the things that really stuck out for me when I first picked up this book was uh, the similarity to a story called uh, a recent, uh, kind of a recent uh, arc with Superman called Superman Grounded, where basically they Superman was told, look, you're you know citizen of the world, you're this you know globe hopping person who's able to save the world, but you don't know what it's like in America anymore. So there it was this limited series where Superman touched down uh, from flying. He touched down on the East Coast and walked to the West Coast. Mm. And every issue was him coming to a different town and seeing how he affected them and by proxy how they affected him. And that book, you get to see, again, on the ground level, what he means to these people. And you get to kind of reconnect to that idea. Like, as kids, you know, we look at superheroes as this, like, you know, malevolent, like, not malevolent, but like this, like, godlike figure. Even, you know, non-superpowered characters like Captain America is this, like, image of perfection. And when they are able to, you know, suddenly walk into a diner that you frequent, they are suddenly their real people. And you get to see their struggles. You get to see Steve doubt himself just in the way that Superman did in in his grounded story about, whoa, maybe I wasn't looking at this the way I should be looking at this. Um, And again, he's trying to find where he fits. And I think part of the Superman comparison is due to the creative team, which is uh, has Chris Samney, which is one of my favorite artists. Um, and he does a very, like, old-school kind of almost yeah, pulp like 40s-esque yeah. looking art style that I've always loved. He's drawn Captain America before. He's drawn other characters. I'm a huge fan of his. But the uh, writer is Mark Wade, And Mark Wade is the biggest Superman fan in the world. Oh. I guarantee you, I'm a huge Superman fan. I have been since I was a little kid. I'm wearing a Superman shirt right now, specifically for this podcast. It's true, he is. But no matter how much of a Superman fan you think you are, Mark Wade is a bigger Superman fan than you. <laughs> and he is taking the approach that he's had in writing Superman, the times that he has written him, and bringing that into Steve Rogers. Because there are always parallels I'm that sure. people draw between oh, yeah. the two. Like, oh, he's boring, he's white meat, he's, you know a Boy Scout, all this stuff, you get to see him take a character who's so close to the character that he loves and find where they, again, where they parallel and then where they contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's it's a great book. I really enjoy it. Um, It's just, it's your tried and true Captain America book, as classic as can be. And um, uh, next issue is uh, issue number 698. I know that's super intimidating. (laughs) I know we were saying, oh, you know, it's issue six for the last one. But um, recently with Marvel Legacy, with the imprint that's been going on with that, 
Um, they've reinstated all of the previous uh, numberings to kind of coincide with, you know, this is the big history of Marvel Comics. Oh, interesting. So this most recent volume, this most recent arc, starts with issue 695. And uh, the if you're looking for it in the comic shop, you're looking for it, it's a really just kind of attention-getting cover. It's Cap bursting out of a sea of bad guys, and it says Home of the Brave up, up top. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the start of the arc. It's wonderful, absolutely pick up. And... Uh, the next issue, like I said, is uh, issue number 698, and that's coming out on Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow for those of us who are <laughs> recording this. We're recording it on a Tuesday night on the 13th. That's right. All right, what have we got for number three? So number three is uh, something that's a little more off the beaten path. Uh, so it's going to be uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, so the good doctor. The good doctor. And I see your ears perk up. That's and that's, right. you know, again. I've seen some of the movies. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Doctor Strange has made a couple appearances. He had his own standalone movie. He recently appeared in Thor Ragnarok and one of the best scenes of the entire movie, mm-hmm. which was filled with really great scenes. And he's, of course, he's going to be shown up in Infinity War as well. Um, so, but this book is a little bit different, and you can immediately see it off the first issue. The cover is going to be a little more uh, strange than you would see. So, uh, here's the here's the synopsis for that. So, evil is everywhere, and the world needs the Sorcerer Supreme more than ever. But is the world ready for Loki, Sorcerer Supreme? And what happened to Stephen Strange? So you you heard right. The Sorcerer Supreme in this book, at the outset, is Loki, uh, brother of Thor, uh, God of Mischief, the whole thing, uh, played by Tom Hiddleston. Amazing. Amazing in the uh, MCU. Um, and uh, this book is really, it's not going to be something that I would say would be first come to someone's mind when they think of you know traditional superheroes but that's what i think doctor strange is really good at as a character is that he takes these uh kind of otherworldly ideas these off the beaten path ideas and he's able to translate them and be a compelling character that still gets you hooked mm-hmm. like the doctor strange movie is so different in many ways from the normal marvel formula oh. and in other way and in other ways it's you know it's very similar it's very a lot of people um uh, paralleled it to the first Iron Man movie. Hmm. Of course, you know, this rich guy who's totally full of himself, gets right. to an accident, learns humility, learns how to, you know, focus his powers for good. Right. So this book has a little bit of backstory. I'm going to give you a real quick recap. Uh, so this book is spinning out of uh, The Death of Magic, or The Last Days of Magic, where uh, these otherworldly beings called the Empirical came and basically killed all the magic in the world. Stephen Strange has been glow-popping, trying to find the last pieces of magical artifacts around the world because he's been almost completely cut off. Uh, Magic is on its last legs. It's kind of fading from the world, and he thinks that being able to get everything together, all these... Uh, remaining magical artifacts will be able to give it the shot in the arm that it needs to start growing again. Um, and during this story, he meets Zelma Stanton, who is your typical, 
you know, teenage girl living her life. Uh, she runs into him when she is being kind of plagued by otherworldly creatures. Um, and what this story did, and this is the uh, this is the story arc leading up to this book was uh, dealing a lot with magic and the price that it has. So a lot of people don't see magic as something that costs, but this book kind of... The the Doctor Strange book, the previous Doctor Strange book, uh, done by uh, Chris Bacalo, really dealt with that every spell cast, every magic-y, magic-y thing done has its price, and that you have to pay that price at some point. And this evolved into this idea of Mr. Misery, who is this character that is basically the lump sum of all the negative energy that Stephen Strange has accrued throughout the years and is given form. All this negative wrath, all this um, negative emotion, all the horrible things that he's had to do to continue to be Sorcerer Supreme Mm -hmm. are kind of given properties. So if any of that interests you, that was the previous book, and that's going to weigh in a lot of what happens here, especially um, his relationship with Zelma. Um, what I like is that this gives a really like offbeaten character a little bit more spotlight because one thing that I think is crazy is that Loki is a more popular character in mainstream than Doctor Strange is. Yeah, very much so. Um, and that a lot of it has to do with Tom Hiddleston as an actor and what he's been able to do to bring that character to life. Um, he's done a wonderful, amazing job doing that. And, you know, play, I think placing him in this book gives him the ability to not just stretch as a character, but it also gives a certain spotlight on Doctor Strange mm. as a concept. Um, and it kicks the door open for a lot of, like, non-super, like, mainstream um, ideas because magic and Marvel has always been kind of a weird subject. It's always been kind of like, oh yeah, that's the uh, that's the you know that that's the dark place. Never go there, <laughs> you know, for our Lion King fans. And um, what the Doctor Strange books, especially in this most recent story arc, and then this one, um, puts a spotlight on it. It shows you that like. Like, there's this place they go to called the Bar With No Doors, which is basically this bar where every magical person in the Marvel Universe shows up. Scarlet Witch is there. Brother Voodoo is there. You know, all these characters who may have never interacted with each other in other books are here. And they just come here every night, talk about, oh, man, you would not believe how my day went. (laughs) And uh, it really, like, builds a supporting cast for him. And I think it's... Imperative, especially if he's going to be one of the Avengers going forward past Infinity War, that we need to have a spotlight on him and be able to tell people, like, hey, this is the book. This is what's going on. Um, And I think what really helps that out is the creative team. Uh, Donnie Cates is the writer. He has been handed a couple different balls right now and asked to run with them in Marvel. He's writing the Thanos book, which is another great book right now. Um, And he's writing Doctor Strange, and he's doing a wonderful job bringing a different flavor to not just Doctor Strange, but 
um, just the Marvel Universe as a whole. And Gabriel Walta is a very unique artist. He gives a lot of different, um, I would say, different perspectives, not just in his... Uh, art style, but in also the way that he tackles layouts and the way that he um, structures characters and how they affect, you know, not just their scenery, but like the story themselves. Um, So yeah, all in all, amazing book. I would absolutely recommend it. Um, Would this be the, if someone, let's say, is coming from the movies, like, you know what? I liked him in the movie. I want to do a little bit because he, he, you know what you said, where Loki's more known in the world right now than Doctor Strange is. And right. It's obviously because of the films. You know, of course. There was this thing saying that he's only the only recurring villain in any of the Marvel films. Right. And it's argued he's definitely a bad guy, but he's like, you kind of like him too. I mean, <laughs> right, in, in, right. In, in the second Thor, you felt really bad when you thought he died. But anyway, so if someone were to say, you know what, okay, I want to learn more about Doctor Strange. Would this be maybe not the first book that you send them to, but definitely something that would kind of go into the character, maybe oh. explain, put him in a cool story, you know? Abs- I mean? Absolutely, because like, especially if you've watched the movies, I think this is a really um, movie-friendly book. Oh, nice. Because you get the same kind of characterizations you get from, you know... Benedict Cumberbatch's Stephen Strange, mm-hmm. how he's kind of snarky, but he's very, um, he's very focused. He's very focused on everything that he does, right. and you get to see because the overarching um, mystery, especially in this first issue, is okay. Loki, Sorcerer Supreme, where is Stephen? Where is Doctor Strange? Where is what happened to him? Why is Loki? Sorcerer Supreme, because Doctor Strange is supposed to be Sorcerer Supreme. Where did he go? Mm. And so, especially like in their interactions in Thor Ragnarok, you know, you get to see exactly who those characters are in the scenes that they're in. Right. And it plays beautifully, by the way. Too. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the whole "I have been falling for thirty minutes" yeah. like that deal. <laughs> I and drink you, tea. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and I'm happy to say, like in this book, there is, you know. Of course, with Loki, there does come some, you know, Asgard references. They do deal with Asgard and everything. So if you're a fan of either of those characters, this is definitely a book to pick up. Um, Next issue is number 385. Uh, The uh, arc started at issue 381. And issue 385 is also on sale uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day. So book four. Book four four is Marvel 2-in-1, which is not as clear-cut on what it's about from the title, but for comic book fans, and I think just Marvel fans in general alike, it's a really exciting book. Uh, So here's the synopsis. Uh, The four are no more, so two must do. Something is very wrong with the Human Torch, and only the Thing can help him. Plus, what monumental secret has Doom been hiding since the end of Secret Wars, and how will it completely change the lives of Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm? So first of all, I'm just going to get the creative team out of the way because they're wonderful to talk about. Chip Zdarsky is absolutely great. He's insanely funny. He has such a quirky... Uh, writing style. The book that I kind of fell in love with with his writing was uh, the legendary Star Lord. 
or it might have been just Star Lord. Um, and his arc was basically Star Lord and the rest of the Guardians being grounded on Earth, and them trying to. They split each guardian off into their own book for like five issues dealing with like how they're living on Earth in the oh. time that it's taking to get their ship fixed. Yeah. And you get to see very slice of life, very like, you know, um, Star Lord, Peter Quill doing his thing. Mm. Uh, very quirky, very fun. He's also writing uh, Spider Man right now, Spectacular Spider Man. Oh, nice. Super good, really nice, great voice for these characters. And then uh, Jim Chung is on the art. And Jim Chung is a very, like, I would say he's a really structured artist. You can tell immediately where his um, where his influences are, how he views these characters. And I'm sure if you've, you know, glanced at a comic book by Marvel in the last five years at any point, you've probably seen Jim Chung art anywhere. Nice. And these characters are amazing. And so, going into the book itself, um, obviously this is a book about the Fantastic Four. But because of this huge crossover event, Secret Wars, which I wish I did, but I don't have time to talk about because it was such a huge crossover event episode in the future if you folks are interested in um, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman, and their two kids, uh, Franklin and Valeria, are gone. After the events of Secret Wars, it was kind of a big reboot for Marvel, uh, kind of a soft reboot, and the four of them disappeared out into the multiverse, kind of leaving Human Torch and Ben Grimm alone. Not knowing what to do, couldn't be the Fantastic Four with just two of them, so they each went their separate ways. Uh, Ben Grimm joined the Guardians of the Galaxy for a short time, which was kind of a funny perspective of having, you know, you know, Yancey Street, Ben Grimm out in space, and just seeing him react to everything was hilarious. And then um, Human Torch joined the Unity Squad, which has kind of been this deal of having. this Avengers team that's comprised of Avengers and X-Men. And so recently they've been kind of dealing with stuff on their own. This book kind of brings them back together and it gives you the idea that they might still be out there. They might still be in the multiverse. Can we find them? And so this I think is a second chance, not just for the book, but also for this team as a whole because comic book fans have been yearning for Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four is the first family in comic books. It's the first family in Marvel, of course. But um, And I think the uh, the recent movies have had a lot of like negative impact on the yeah, books. Yeah, a lot of people, I would imagine, if, if they were to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go pick up, I'm going to watch this movie, I'm going to get a comic. If you watch the movie, you're not going to get the book because Mm-mm. of how badly the movie was done. And, and even if you didn't see it, word of mouth, you obviously heard how bad it was. Right. So as a byproduct, I'm going to save myself X amount of dollars and neither not get the book and not write the movie. So... Yeah, I think that final uh, that uh, Fantastic Four maybe has a kind of a little bit of a black eye right now because right. of the films. Absolutely, and and the comics have been a kind of casualty of that idea because I don't know if everyone is aware of this, but Marvel's incredibly petty. <laughs> They're an incredibly petty people, and uh, story goes that um, 
Fantastic Four's film rights were coming up, and uh, Fox had to throw together a Fantastic Four movie by the end of the year, or they would lose the rights back to Marvel. So Fantastic Four was greenlit by Fox. You know, we all know the story. This the most recent Fantastic Four movie was this you know new gritty take, and it was not good. But because this happened, Marvel said, "Okay, so you're not going to give us back Fantastic Four? Fine." If we can't have Fantastic Four, no one can have Fantastic Four. So they canceled all of their Fantastic Four books to hurt exposure for the movie. That sounds like a Marvel thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that Disney, you know, uh, divide and conquer yeah, kind of deal. But, uh, but yeah, so this is, you know, with all the rumors swirling right now that Fantastic Four, because of the purchase a fox by Marvel might be coming back. You know, now this book is suddenly being put together that's supposedly supposed to reunite the Fantastic Four. What's going to happen? So that's all conjecture right now. But this book is wonderful, and it's it really delves into the heart of these characters and why Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm have always been part of this team and why they've always been the heart and soul of this team. Um... Their connection has spanned decades, and they are as much part of Fantastic Four and Marvel as a whole as any other character could be. And what I really like about this book as well is that it shines a spotlight on Doctor Doom, who at this point has gone through a lot. Uh, Secret Wars was also a big deal for him, and uh, post-Secret Wars... And post uh, the most recent Civil War II, he has become the new Iron Man. I know you're giving me that look. Chris is too. I did not Um, know that. (laughs) And uh, Victor Von Doom has decided that he is going to try to, quote unquote, go straight. And so he fashioned himself an Iron Man armor, which looks the most Doctor Doom Iron Man can look. (laughs) Um and he's been trying to really push out this goodwill towards the Marvel Universe. And, you know, the infamous Iron Man book is kind of focused on him, written by Brian Michael Bendis, doing amazing on that. That's actually ending soon, so uh, definitely pick up any trades or any single issues that you can from that. But what I really like is that this book reunites the three people who were the biggest part of Reed Richards and Sue Storm's lives and kind of sets them on this collision course of if they're going to fi- if they're ever going to find Reed, Sue and their kids they're going to have to work together and the intrigue on how that's going to happen because Doom has a secret Doom has this thing that he's been sitting on since the end of Secret Wars that might just be the key to them finding the people that they've lost. So definitely check it out. Um, it's on issue three, which is also coming out on Valentine's Day. A lot, Lots of books coming out this week. <laughs> um, but the first two books are great. And uh, yeah, Marvel 2 and 1 is really great. And right now, The Fate of the Four is one of the most intriguing uh, storylines that's kind of going on. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that people who know the comics, like yourself, like they want to see Fantastic do well. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting. It's, right. it's it's an IP that's been with Marvel for quite some time. And 
to see it, and you don't want to call it, you don't want to say disrespect, that's probably not the right word, but maybe not, I don't, maybe not in the best foot forward with their film ventures. And of course, let's be honest, in this day and age, it's a very visual, you know, hey, Absolutely. show it to me. Like yeah. I said, I, had, had Iron Man not come out, I wouldn't know nearly as much about Iron Man as I do now. So if you get a really, let's just call a fantastic, fantastic four movie, I mean, see what you did there. Hey, hey, right, uh. talent, here we are. Um, I think that would really help. Not just sales, but like attention for it. I mean, let's be honest. People right. are people who know, know, but people who don't, they probably will choose not to, or by word of mouth, not want to hear about them, learn about them, know about them. Because hey, I, I hear the movies are horrible, but. Give me a breakthrough movie. Like I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. And then, you know what? You know we'll get our nine-year-old comics and, and we'll take it from there. But anyway, that that's interesting to know about that in the artwork. That's a, it's come a long way. So that looks really cool. For and sure. I did not know the Doctor Doom at any point in time uh, <laughs> was that. So that's going to be news to me. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's 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 great. And that book I think is really going to be something to look out for going forward. And. Uh, the implications that it has for the Marvel Universe going forward, I think, is going to be um, it's going to be important down the line. But anyway, uh, so last one, uh, Doomsday Clock is our number five. And um, for those of you who are familiar with comics, uh, this comes as no surprise. Um, for those are, who are less familiar, I'm going to try and pitch it to you. So uh, synopsis is going to be less uh, descriptive than the others. It's going to be a bit more vague, but uh, that's is, ki- is that's kind of intentional, warning? right? <laughs> so um, here's the synopsis. So DC Comics presents to you a 12 issue maxi series from the critically acclaimed team of writer Jeff Johns, artist Gary Frank, and colorist Brad Anderson. You are not prepared for what lies ahead, good readers. So yeah, it tells you basically nothing besides <laughs> that insane. you're not ready. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a hype train. So let's oh, let's, absolutely. Tell us about absolutely. This. So, um, basically the yeah 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 uh, the uh, the base the basic the most um, I can give it to you in one word: Watchmen versus the DC universe. Um, it's a crazy thing when Watchmen came out back in the I want to say the mid eighties. Um, people loved it. Yeah. It has been critical acclaim across the board. Um, people who aren't even super familiar with comics know what the Watchmen are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into the, uh, the how that affects the movies a little bit later, but it's a huge deal, and the fact that. Watchmen kind of lived in its own universe almost made it more prestigious because there was no follow-up. There was no... It kind of lived in its own world and it lived and died on the creativity of that story. Well, this kind of throws that all out the window and says, you know what? We're going to do something different. And uh, a little bit of background for this. Um... In DC in the last eight years, uh, continuity has been kind of a fast and loose kind of deal with them. Ah, like the movies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Spoiler alert for uh, episode two. Um, 
uh, DC continuity was rolling strong, and uh, in 2010, everything changed with Flashpoint. Flashpoint, you know, Barry Allen wakes up, and the world is vastly different. Amazons, the Atlanteans are at war. Uh, Batman is a violent, gun-toting uh, vigilante who doesn't know Barry or the Flash or anyone at all. Superman is nowhere to be found. And uh, at the end of all this, um, Barry runs back in time, averts this from happening, and when he wakes up, it's a brand new world. And this world was called the New 52. And recently in DC Comics, they began this initiative called Rebirth, where they basically said New 52 was not an accident. The fact that... 10 years of our lives were stolen from us and altered was not an accident. Someone has been pulling the strings. Someone has been um, watching us from day one. And it's kind of uh, heralded by the return of Wally West, who is the, uh, the redheaded stepchild of the Flash family, like literally the redhead. And he <laughs> has been missing since the New 52 started. And so he comes back in this brand new DC Rebirth special and says that, you know, someone yanked me out of time because they didn't want me because I know what's happening. I know what's going on. Someone's watching us. And at that exact moment in the comic, Batman is walking through the Batcave after Wally had visited him earlier in uh, in the night, definitely pick up that rebirth special. It's amazing, and he picks up this object that he has never seen in the Batcave before, never um, witnessed it. It's suddenly there. He picks it up, and it's the smiley face button mm. from the comedian. So the. Um, the assumption is that Dr. Manhattan is behind all of this, that Dr. Manhattan had reached back, changed everything for some purpose, and we are going to find out why. Mm-hmm. And what Doomsday Clock has been kind of positioned as is this big 12-issue event where it's going to be Dr. Manhattan versus Superman. And what... Is what is so like monumental about this is how much Watchmen impacted DC Comics as a whole yeah. when it was first on the scene because yeah. it ushered in this whole new like dark and gritty kind of um, uh, way of storytelling with these right. superheroes how they could be flawed they could be wildly ex- insanely flawed and. Um, that you know, not every superhero story ends in a happy ending. Uh, the social commentary again also was, was huge yeah. at the time, yeah. with you know paranoia, all the um, you know Big Brother's always watching, well, who, Russia, you, who can you trust, and, all and the stuff so. with Russia, and, and now you know all the stuff that we've got going on with Russia. Yeah. So I think now is as good a time as any to kind of bring these stories together. Um. And for me, as a huge DC fan, this is amazing. 
as a huge comic book fan, this is amazing. As a huge Watchmen fan, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Because you're finally get to, getting to see, because obviously these characters have been, you know, people have drawn parallels between them before. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, it's easy to see, too. Well, I mean, you, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you can, you can draw a straight line between Rorschach and Batman. Mm-hmm. So... This is also kind of a landmark event because uh, Watchmen and the DC Universe has been has had a really sordid history. Alan Moore, who was the writer of the original Watchmen book, um, famously did not want anything to do with any kind of expanding the universe after Watchmen was said and done. And DC got the rights to Watchmen. They wanted to expand the universe, they want to do prequels, they want to do a sequel. Al Moore didn't want any of it. And this is a huge step away from his original vision. And I can tell you, without even having a conversation with a man, that he probably hates this. Yeah. So, um... Uh, and not just, like, in the comics has Watchmen been tied with DC, but also in the movies... Watchmen, the film, was famously directed by Zack Snyder, who many people will kind of herald as the architect of the current DCEU. And um, you can see a lot of the DNA of the current DC movies in his adaptation of Watchmen. The color palette, the tonality of it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be said about it, yeah. Right, right. Of course, they they had the rated R rating, too. Of course, absolutely. And we can't necessarily do that unless we're Deadpool. (laughs) But it's, you know, it's kind of a melding of those two ideas and kind of bringing fans of both together. And it's also saying this is a book that you need to look at because there's a reason that these characters haven't been touched since 85. Right, 30 years ago, 32 years ago. So, and there have been, of course, like I said, there have been prequel books, there have been other stuff, but this is the first story that's jumping forward following the events of Watchmen. Um, And for me, as a fan, this is also like an opportunity for them to kind of right the wrongs that were done with uh, their continuity. Because when New 52 came out, people hated it because it de-aged the characters, brought them back to square one. Some of them had never met before. um, And people were not huge fans of it. And I totally understand because I'm all about characters and their relationships with each other. That's what any good, you know, shared universe is. And that's the payoff too. We've gotten, we've gone this far. We don't need to go back. And we, you know, it's a, anyway. I can see why people feel that way. It's almost like cheating. So in, in right. some ways, exactly. And so I think this is kind of saying like, look, we messed up. We get it. But we're gonna craft a really good story out of this. Mm. And this is like, this is an event comic. This is the probably the biggest event comic coming out of DC right now. Um, 12 issues. Um, originally it was a monthly, but recently they wanted to make sure that their quality didn't uh, fluctuate, their standards were kept, so that it's gone to bi-monthly, so every other month. So it's going to take a while to get all 12 issues out. The first three issues are out. Uh, definitely go pick those up. Issue 4 comes out on March 28th. 
So we got to wait a little while, but th- but that does give you time to go pick up the previous three issues, get caught up. If you haven't read Watchmen, pick that up too because that is a seminal comic that if you are wanting to get into comics, that is something you need to read at some point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, those are my five five comics. So what is, do you Is uh, Zack Snyder going to direct the Doomsday Clock <laughs> in, in 2 years Are they in pre-production now? Uh, you know with the uh with how badly Justice League did at the box office, I would say that it does not look good yeah. for that <laughs> The um going back to 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 the original Watchmen, I thought that was Interesting that they had a self-contained storyline. Right. I, I find that in a whole lot of ways. I love it and I hate it. I love it because, you know, you don't have to read thirty years to see someone die. They if they die, that's it. It's over. You know, right. they, they have this. If they die in, let's say, it's, if it's a twelve uh, book arc, if you die in book six, that's kind of it. So mm-hmm. I, I do like the finale. The stakes are infinitely higher in right. a self-contained story, but that's just the issue that if you find a character you fall in love with mm-hmm. and you that's it you know after the, the the 12th book they don't come back right that's kind of their story and they, there's no other transition for that mm-hmm. how do you feel about of course not Watchmen because Watchmen at when you judge Watchmen itself it's great it's fantastic it's right, almost inarguable to say that it's not yeah the format of let's just call it maybe a self-contained story and I mean obviously you can do with Cap you couldn't do with with Iron Man. You couldn't do with Batman. But if there was something like that that was a little more gritty, because mm-hmm. Watchmen definitely, and the social tones are fantastic too. I mean, right, it, of course. It, it, you know, and I'll, I will say that the movie doesn't come close to the book, but the movie's pretty damn good too. And I'm a, I'm a, mm-hmm. I have, I'm a, I'm a huge Snyder fan. I've liked mm-hmm. him since I saw the first ten minutes of Dawn of Dead. I was one of the few people that probably liked uh, Sucker Punch. Thought that was good oh, too. Oh, I, I really enjoy Sucker Punch and more of a uh, kind of a guilty pleasure. Yeah, kind of way. right. It's, it's it's a fun movie. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, does the format and again not just for watching but do you see it working for other comics the the self-contained format well and i think that like for me personally like those are some of the most interesting ideas like uh batman white knight specifically is going to be there's eight issues and it's done Mm -hmm. it is a self-contained story it's outside of normal continuity you don't have to really know anything going in every character in it has an arc and by the end hopefully you know Fingers crossed, by the end of the story, every character will have had their development and will have met their natural end in the arc, whether that's just emotionally, whether that's physically, mm-hmm. whether that's storyline-wise. Um, there's a book that I read uh, that I really enjoy. It's called The Omega Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Tom King. And that book was a self-contained story but it dealt with characters that we're familiar with. It dealt with Green Lantern. Mm. Um, And it's a wonderful self-contained book. And for me, I remember telling someone who is a huge uh, Green Lantern fan, shout out to John Noble, um, (laughs) to read this book, not just because he's a Green Lantern fan, but because reading this book, I felt like... I was getting the same kind of experience that I had the first time I read Watchmen. Interesting. Because it dealt with very adult themes. Mm. It dealt with uh, death. It dealt with loss. It dealt with, you know, exploiting your body to 
um, to reach the goals that you had. It, you know, touched on what is the idea of a means to an end. And in those kind of stories, I think when you go down to it, like, if it's told well, it's told well. It's like any other story, whether it's ongoing, whether it's not. Um, All-Star Superman is a is my definitive Superman book. It's a miniseries. Not the Doomsday one. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, All-Star Superman is also an Elseworlds. It's not dealing in the normal continuity. Has a beginning, has a middle, has an end. And I think if it's told well, if there's a vision for it, and you can clearly see what all went into it and if I can't stress enough if a writer doesn't care about a character it shows Mm. it shows so clearly and when you get down to it like these characters need to be treated with respect right and I feel like there are certain books that when you look at it from that perspective whether they're ongoing, whether they're, you know, a mini-series, a maxi-series, what have you, um, you have to have that component of respect and reverence for that character, and not just that character, but their own emotional arc. You ha- you ha- you can't just be like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, if Superman decided, oh, I'm gonna, you know, go blow up the sun one day. Right. Like, you have to... If that's your story, great, cool. But you have to get the Superman that we all know and love or a Superman that you can make us connect to and get them to that point. Like, Superman Red Sun is an amazing book. And it is one of the strangest takes on Superman because it's completely not the Superman that you know. It's, you know, the story of if Superman, instead of landing in... Uh, Kansas, he landed in um, USSR, mm. you know, Stalin-era Russia. I love it. Different and perspective. You, right. And yeah. you get to see him come up through that system, through that upbringing, and they made his character make sense. Even though he was a vastly different Superman than we're used to, you got to... You could see the DNA in him. Right. So for me, when you take care of those characters, when you have a compelling story... You can you can make an instant classic, which I think White Knight, White Knight can be, yeah. which I think Doomsday Clock can be. So it's um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I like the idea. Like I said, it's on the story. Devils in the details. I absolutely agree. And it, it, hell, if you can see a USSR Superman, then yeah. you can see a Joker that is. You know, a Dom Draper kind of feel to it. Right. So that's you know, and I think that's the beauty about these stories too. And only can you take these characters that everybody knows and loves, craft a story, and make people believe it. And I and I love it. I really do. I think that that's incredible. The uh, the Captain America one I'm most looking forward to reading. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Only cool. because I've seen, you know, in, if you knew nothing about Captain America, if you knew nothing about him, but you had been in, you know, if you're 14 years old. And older, then you've seen at least him in three movies, so right. you kind of get a feel for the character. Hey, I'm the good guy. Whether you want to believe, whether you yeah. want to like me or not, I'm the good guy. And so, 
to see that that and, and I was one of the people like you know I think Chris Evans tweeted out when 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 he's, he's like really Marvel when yeah. you know so it, even it took him so yeah. so to see that that coming out of it and to see where it picks up and to kind of get to a point where I, and I love resetting stories I love origin stories you kind of have to reset it and mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult to do when you've got I mean how long has it been what, 20, 30 years 40 years how long has Captain America been in books for Oh, he's since the 40s. So, over 75 so, years. So that long, people have at least had, he's had someone's ear in their eyes, and now all of a sudden we're going back to kind of zero after this thing. So it's interesting to see how it shakes out, to see if people buy it or not, to yeah. see if the story really kind of resets itself to a way where it's like, okay, we're moving forward from here. So mm-hmm. to me, that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that, uh, how that book pulls out. But uh, I like your five. Yeah, man, thanks, thanks. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's it was difficult just picking five because there's so many good books out right now, <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, wrapping up here, uh, those are my five. If we missed any, please please let me know. I uh, would love to have that conversation with any of you guys. If there are any of these books that you thought sounded interesting, pick them up. Go to your local comic book shop. Ask around, check them out. Um, I would love to be the person who turned you on to a really good book. So, um, yeah, so inaugural episode, Geek Explained. Um, looking forward to do more, doing more of this. Uh, yeah, how'd you, how'd, you, how'd you like it? I loved it. I love talking about nerd stuff. I love talking about this type of stuff, and and uh, for me, I, I I get I get like an education in awesomeness, and I'm a total closet nerd. So the more I find out about this, the more I, I enjoy it. So uh, I think again, my favorite will probably and we grew up with Batman. I grew up with Batman, all three iterations. Well, maybe not all three because I missed the Adam West part of it. But uh, I think I will take a look at your Dark Knight series or your White Knight series because that to me sounds pretty cool. And the Captain America one, because oh. I got to see that. I'm on the fence about it, though. <laughs> I, I got to see. I'm on the fence about it. So we'll see, but see. but like that's you know that's the whole that's the whole deal about you know this this list is like getting you like okay that looks interesting. Yeah. So it definitely did that. And and for those of you at home listening to this, Chris has been extremely patient. He's he just started a uh, full time job recently, hey. big boy job, and uh, he has been at work all day. <laughs> Came back, was ready, about ready to pass out, and I said, "Hey, you ready to record this podcast?" So, and it's been the highlight of my day so far. If you don't believe that? So, um, looking forward to doing more of this. And if you do pick these books up, let me know how how you like them. Got any final send off words? No, I can't wait for us. I, I can't. I can't wait. You guys stay stay there because we're gonna have a good time doing it on this side. And that is our show. Um, Hope you guys like the uh, like the list. Uh, spent a lot of time on that. I do have to do some curating since uh, between recording that episode and now a little bit of time has passed. <laughs> so a couple corrections on the next issues. Uh, so for Batman White Knight, the next issue is going to be number seven on April fourth. The next issue of Captain America is issue number seven hundred, big landmark issue. That's going to be on April eleventh. Uh, the next issue of Doctor Strange is going to be issue number 387 on March 14th, so next week. Uh, and also on March 14th is going to be the next issue of Marvel 2-in-1, which is going to be issue number 4. 
the only one that doesn't change is Doomsday Clock number four, which is still going to be on March 28th. Also want to give a big thank you and a huge shout out to uh, Chris for sitting with me for over an hour after he had uh, a long day at work. Uh, really appreciate the work that he put in and looking forward to doing more episodes with him. So for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for tuning in for our very first episode and we'll see you next time.